Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you. From him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. A word again from our second lesson, 1 Thessalonians 5. Concerning the times and dates, brothers, there is no need to write to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The word of our Lord. Dear friends, you never figure it'll happen to you that it can only happen to someone else. It happened to us this week. The internet went out at our home. It was like the end. There was no streaming. There were no emails to be sent from various devices. And you call up the service guy and then your power goes out, which was an unrelated thing. So you set it up for a week later and then you think, wait a minute, a week later, that's too long. No streaming, no emails from certain devices. And so then you change that and they give you the four hour window. Well, that's inconvenient. I guess I'm staying home for that amount of time. And two and a half hours in, they were supposed to have been there, which is actually pretty good, all things considered. But no internet service guy. And then 10 minutes after that, we got the phone call. It's fixed. It's fixed. You weren't even here. Yes, I checked the neighborhood box and there was some kind of animal in here. My best guess is a squirrel. And it chewed up the couplet for one resident. That's you. So it happens. You think it would happen to someone else? It's never going to happen to you. But then it really happens to you, the end. And it gets worse than the internet. There will come a time when none of us has access to the internet. And that will be one of the least of our problems. There will come a time when everything you know and breathe and live and do, when everything you dream, when everything that occupies your time, your routine will come to an end. And everyone needs to know this. Everyone needs to grapple with this. This just inescapable, urgent understanding that things are going to stop at some point and you may not even see it coming. What about that guy over there or her? Yes, it's going to end for those individuals as well. At some point, everyone who's ever lived will die unless we live long enough to see him who comes from the heavens to take us home to heaven. So I think, I think we read a text like this and a lot of it for me is kind of the same old stuff. It's repeated throughout the Bible and then you wonder, wait a minute, why is it repeated throughout the Bible? Maybe there's more. I hope today that you glean more from what St. Paul has to say to the Thessalonians 
because we're really just looking in on their mail, his first epistle to the Thessalonians, and take it home and live like it. How do we live like it? What are we going to do for the time being? Well, this is our prayer today. Lord, make us patient, different, and confident at the end. Patient, different, and confident. So we've already been over this. There's one thing to be known, but at the risk of repeating myself, what is the thing to be known? The thing to be known is everything is going to end. People may have problems and joke about Christians who think we're in the end times. I've seen the memes. I've seen, seen the stuff online. There's a lot of mockery, but the same people will also despair about the climate emergency that's going to end us all in, what is it, nine years now? Or I saw recently something, I don't know, a thousand scientists signed that said by 2100 for sure and proclaim an imminent end. At some point, the sun will become a red giant and consume us all or the solar system will decouple and, and pull apart or the universe will die the entropy death of heat just dissipating into darkness. And Everyone has to understand things are going to end. This shouldn't be news. And it shouldn't be something that we simply ignore. Because what happens then? Well, um, Paul doesn't tell us, first of all, when it's going to happen. Whether extended times or specific dates, Paul says, I got nothing. I'm not, I'm not going to say anything to you. Our Heavenly Father was gracious enough to not give us that time. And when I say our Heavenly Father was gracious enough not to give us that specific time of Jesus' return, it's going to be like a thief in the night. Jesus is compared to a thief. But only for this one reason. It's going to be sudden. You're not going to see it coming unless you're prepared and ready. And the gracious part about that is if God told us when it was, do you know what we sinners would do? We would, well, let's just say not live urgently towards the gospel and everything that he tells us. We would mire our lives in sin and unbelief to the point where we may, might not come back. So instead, he's very ambiguous. He's not specific. He's not clear about when that time will be and what's the effect. The effect is that you and I live with some urgency about God's commands, what's right and what's wrong, how to treat other people, and certainly not the least, our relationship to him in heaven. Okay? But you say patient. How can you live patiently and urgently? Because those are two things that don't seem to mix, do they? Well, I have an answer for you. How can I live both patiently waiting, waiting, waiting for Jesus, but also urgently knowing it could happen any time? The answer is you. And you. And you. The answer is God gives us each other. So we don't give up meeting together, but that we encourage each other. And all the more as the last day approaches. The answer is new little children who are baptized into the message of the gospel, into the living word that truly resuscitates and brings sinners dead on arrival to a life in the grace of God. 
The answer is new members who stand forth here and say, yes, I am going to commit my time and my prayers and my energy to my fellow believers and the resounding gospel message to send it out into the world. The answer is willing volunteers who say, I will serve as councilman and give up that time and take these gifts God has given me and express them toward my fellow believers so that we have something, a point to which we drive each other, and that is word and sacrament, means of grace, where God's promises stand ready for us to receive. That's God's will for us right now. You need an answer? How do I live patiently and urgently? Look around. Look around, because um, there's a lot of different people there. I didn't say different looking. I said different. There's different people. They're not blending into the world in every respect. Now, I'm not saying we've got to go to outer space and leave the world, but the scriptures make it very clear that it's unbelievers who blend into this world. The Lord calls them asleep and in a stupor. They're unaware of how serious their sins really are, and they're unconscious of the return of their Lord of grace who died for those sins. Paul says people are going to go on saying peace and safety they act as if that's all we're created for. Hard work, dreams, tears, and death. But Paul says there's much more. They think everything is still as peaceful and safe as the days past. And they act like that cartoon dog in the fire who says, fine, this is fine. Everything's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. Nothing's really going to happen to me. And we whistle past the graveyard. Minds of science will figure out ways that the Bible was false and make sure they feed it to us left and right. And people will ignore those signs that appear in the heavens and in current events and world affairs and governments and wars and false teachings that like billboard after billboard down the highway say, the end is coming, it's near. Why? Just to blend in and live like the rest of the world with no rules. Not so for the Christian believer standing watch. Paul addresses these Thessalonians as believing brothers and sisters. They know about Jesus' redemptive work. They know about his coming return. They long for it in their very hearts and souls because they know things are not right in this world. And they never will be as long as sin's consequences seed themselves and take root in this place around us and threaten to do so in our very hearts. Next to the world, believers are different, and curiously so. Jesus has different blessings. He says things like this. Well, I guess I wrote that out of the sermon. He says things like, those who weep now will laugh later. Those who, who mourn now, God has comfort for you. He has rich promises for those who say, I'm not okay with the, thing, the way things are, but I trust in a Christ who loves me. So how about you? Is there a spiritual laziness that you could compare to a drunken stupor? Or, or a spiritual laziness that you could compare to a sluggish sleepiness? Are you chasing after the things of this world as if they could possibly satisfy, as if they won't curse you in the end? and leave you abandoned and alone? Are there things in this world that are taking root in your heart, stealing it away, where you spend your time and your love instead of Jesus Christ?
These are a result of sin. And if we as Christians are so dramatically different, it's going to look that way. We don't have to sew little crosses into our shoes or baptize everything we do to be different. It simply means we can show an otherworldly kind of love to those around us, knowing that the Redeemer has given us his selfless love and a love of ultimate, eternal, everlasting glory. And so we live confidently because as we think every day, Jesus Christ, he's going to appear for judgment today. He's going to appear for judgment maybe this very moment. We go back to his promises. We go to his loving kindness. We go to his mercy. We bury our sins of sluggishness and spiritual laziness at the foot of the cross and in the deep wounds of his intense urgency for us. See, that's the thing about Jesus. When his inner circle, the disciples of disciples, Peter, James, and John slept, Jesus didn't let anything stop his prayers. Jesus didn't let anything stop his purpose. Jesus didn't let anything keep him from doing what? Marching into Rome and taking the throne? No. Marching to the cross and taking on our sins, the robe of our shame, and the darkness of death that you and I deserved. Nothing stopped him. And because of that, all your sins are gone. He forgives us as he forgave Peter, James, and John. But he reminds us, the spirit is willing, and the flesh is weak. And for that, he gives you some armor today. Did you hear that, what St. Paul said about faith, hope, and love? You get more about that in 1 Corinthians 13, in that famous love chapter often read at weddings. But here, here he gives us at least a breastplate and a helmet. He gives us the breastplate of faith in the living Christ and the love that he demonstrates and gives and puts on our very fingertips to ward off idols that would set themselves on our hearts. He gives us a helmet, a helmet of hope so that our minds that have gone aflutter with the worries and cares of this world can be secure when we think, wait a minute, Jesus wins. Jesus still lives. And he gives me something to look forward to as well. Something that lasts forever. Nothing can endanger a person prepared like that. Certainly no one who stands on Jesus Christ. See, if you think it'll never happen to me, you may be fooling yourself. We get these books from the library. Eleven different endings. Superman versus Darkseid. And we follow the different choose-your-own alternate endings. You might get something good if you're lucky. If you can guess kind of the virtue that the author is putting into the book, maybe you can weave your way to a good ending by the end, or maybe it's just by sheer fortune. Um, Oh, my goodness. There's some pretty bad endings in here. Superman ends up getting kryptonite, and, and he doesn't win. Well, choose your own adventure. Does Superman run? Does Superman stay and fight, or does he go through the warp tunnel to go and and fight the main enemy? And who knows what happens next? Understand that Jesus' return is not like that. Under Jesus' return, there are only two possible endings, endings. And depending on your faith and your readiness, depending on what Jesus Christ has put in your heart, patience, different, confidence, depending on how you treat that ending, brothers and sisters, there is a certainty of either one or the other. It means one of these endings is impossible. 
If you seat something that isn't Christ in your heart, there is a sure ending. It's going to come on you like, like labor pains on a mother-to-be. There's, there's no escaping this because this has started. Some of our mothers, in fact, recently someone went in thinking she'd get the epidural, but it all happened so fast. She took all the pain. It was too late for the epidural, um, which, would, which would have deadened the lower body. Um, this happened to someone else I know. The epidural was there. The body was, was deadened, except for this one nerve that baby was, baby's head was sitting on, one nerve through the, through the birth. And we knew it was that one nerve as, as soon as the baby came through and everything was okay. The pain stopped. But there's a certain measure of inescapableness. But not for you. You have the other ending. By Christ's decision for you, that he has rescued you from womb to tomb, all that sin would claim on you. That he has taken you from the jaws and the claws of Satan. And he has something that you can be sure of. That's hope in heaven. After all, isn't he the Alpha and Omega? The first and the last, the author of our salvation and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, the beginning and the end. In his name, amen. I invite you to stand with me.